I'm a little tangled up over here. There we go. Thank you guys for the birthday wishes. Well, uh, it was awesome to go back in the fellowship and I got to see a new baby that came to church for the first time. Uh, Tim and Alexis's Kravitz's new boy, Cruz Kravitz, is in the back there. There he is. Awesome to see him. Uh, they make beautiful children. And I'm so excited for the Korean ministry because I now know what I'm doing today. I'm going to have some Korean. I hope, are you guys having Korean barbecue? Because that's, that's really what I'm craving right now. I might be Korean for the day. Um, anyways, going to be turning your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. I'm telling you now because some of you might take a minute to find it. And that's okay. If you have a paper Bible, go to Matthew and turn left. You know, we've been doing this series of unlikely heroes. And really, we all have heroes. We all need heroes. We all love heroes. Heroes are are those change agents in our lives. They're the men and women that, that do what's necessary to bring about change and help us to bring about change. And the truth is, everyone in here can be a hero. Now, the good thing about that is you don't have to be Superman to be a hero. The whole theme behind the series is be the hero that your world needs. Not the entire world, okay? Jesus took care of that for us, right? Your world is those people that are in your sphere of influence, the people that know the real you, the people that if you got up and told your story, that you got up and told about your faith and how God was working in your life, they're the people that would know if what you're saying is true. That's your neighbors. That's not all your coworkers. It's those coworkers that are in the desk next to you or that ride in the truck with you that, that really know the real you. That have seen the grumpy you, have seen the happy you, have seen you at your best and at your worst. You know, they're, they're the, you know your neighbors that you may not really talk to, but they hear you. You know what I mean? That's your world. And God is constantly putting new people in our worlds and, and constantly shifting our worlds. And everybody has their own little world. You know, parents, you have a world. Grandparents, you have a world. You know, your kids have their own little world. You know, it's so fun watching my son develop His world. He's only two and he's only got about three friends. But actually, everybody is his friend. But he has some people that are like really his best friends. You know, he prays for them every night. And um, I'm not going to go to all of them. But, uh, you know, one of them is Cheryl Hammer. The other one is uh, Luca Montano (laughs) and his little brother, Nico. And so there's actually Levi has a lot of friends. He's got a big world, actually, now that I think about it. But the point is. Everyone here can be a hero to your world. As a matter of fact, God calls you to do that. That's how we change the whole world. One person at a time. And by every person here taking ownership of their world and then helping the people in their worlds to take ownerships of their worlds. Amen? God has an amazing plan for each one of us. We need to be heroes. We need to be change agents. Before we look into Malachi, I'd like to pray. God, we, uh, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the charge to be 
unlikely heroes, to be heroes that our world needs. God, heroes come in many forms. Right now we have some heroes fighting the Charlie fire in Castaic right now. People are affected by it, and we have some true heroes fighting that fire. Be with them, God. Thank you for the heroes in the Bible. Thank you for the heroes in our lives. God, help us to be men and women like that. We love you. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to be talking about John the Baptist this morning. In Malachi 3, 1, he tells us, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. John the Baptist was a prophet who was prophesied about. How's that? You know, when it comes to prophets, prophets in the Bible, they were kind of strange. They were a strange breed of men and women. Lots of times they were lonely men and women. Prophets, they they were moved by God and and it looked, you know, they were set apart by God to, to to, to wreak some havoc, to, to be agents of change in their communities. Prophets were spitting fire long before Kanye ever spit any fire, guys. Prophets were God's emergency men. They were God's mouthpieces. John the Baptist, though, in my mind, John the Baptist was going to be the messenger before the Messiah. He had such an important role. And in Malachi chapter 5 or chapter 4, the prophet Malachi, as he's talking about, here's what's going to come. You know, we've got this messenger that's going to, he's going to come who's going to prepare the way before me, before the Lord. And then chapter 4, he says in verse 3, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day. Of the Lord comes. He gives him another another warning that, hey, the prophet Elijah is going to come and he's not going to come. He's not going to it's not going to be Elijah reincarnated. John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of the prophet Elijah. And we're going to talk about that at the end. Now, how many people here actually have paper Bibles? Can you hold them up? All right, hold them up. And flip the page. Many of you, flip the next page after Malachi chapter 4. Many of you, your paper Bible looks like this. It's empty. There's this page. It's it's just this page between the Testament and it talks about 400 years of silence. 400 years before the messenger came. 400 years where God didn't talk. 400 years... Without a prophetic voice. Malachi says, hey, wait for the messenger. I'm going to send Elijah and then 400 years of quiet. God just doesn't work on our timetables, does he? You know, if I were to ask you to write down who the greatest person to ever live outside of Jesus, who that person was. Many of you, you'd write down somebody like a Moses, maybe a a Paul. Some of you might write down your grandparents' names or some really influential scientist or something like that. But Jesus, who had the was the greatest character reader of all time, said the greatest person to ever live 
The greatest person ever born of women was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist arrives on the scene 400 years after this prophecy from Malachi. John the Baptist was, he was raised in the wilderness, groomed in the wilderness. The Bible tells us that, you know, his, his birth was miraculous. And then the fact is, like after his birth, it just says he just spent his life in the wilderness, 30 years in the wilderness before God called him to preach the word. And he just, out there in the wilderness, he just was lonely. He became strong. He just spent time with God and his Bible. That's just what John did. He stayed in the wilderness until God called him to speak. And then when he spoke, fire came out. John didn't read all the uh, church building books. He started his sermons with stuff like, you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit and coming with repentance. That, that's how he started his sermons. I mean, how would you like it if I just started that? All right, you brood of vipers. And was serious. You know, John like, and, and people came from all over the all over the countryside to see John and there and he's preaching these fire sermons. You know, I would have loved to hear him preach, wouldn't you? Maybe not. I don't know. Would have loved to be there when God told him, hey, John, it's been 30 years. We've been spending a lot of time together here in the wilderness. It's time to go preach now. It's time for you to fulfill your calling. The calling that your dad told you about. You know this calling. John knew his calling because he told him, this is why I'm here. I'm that voice in the wilderness. I'm here to prepare the way for somebody bigger than me. He said that. You know, God takes his time when he develops his heroes. He took 30 years to develop John and John preached for six months before Jesus came. You know, some of us here, we like to be developed for six months and think we can change the world in 30 years. And it's like, no wonder we're flat. No wonder we've lost some inspiration. Maybe we need to go back to the wilderness a little bit. Maybe we need to go get some inspiration that John had. Because he took 30 years, he got inspired by God, by the Word of God, and then he spit fire for six months. And then he was killed. Well, about two years, actually, that he was killed. But six months and then Jesus came. God takes his time when he makes his heroes. He wants you to stay humble. The grooming never stops when it comes to making his heroes. Now, John wasn't dressed to impress. He wasn't worried about the outward appearance. He didn't look up in what's the what, GQ or Vogue or... Nowadays, you can see the fashion trends on Facebook. He didn't do all of that. He wore the very fashion-forward camel skin. And he tied a leather belt around his waist to hold it all together. That was John. John wasn't into all the dietary trends so many of us are into nowadays. You know, John didn't go to uh, Eat Real Cafe and say, like, hey, uh, I'm so hungry. I, I just need... Uh, uh, can I get some gluten-free avocado toast? And please, no, no calories. Can you sprinkle on antioxidants and some healthy bacteria onto that stuff? That's, that's really what I... No, John didn't do that. He ate the flies as they were buzzing around. That's what John did. 
Bible says he ate locusts. He just caught the locusts. He took the wings off, put them on a hot rock, and he had locust burgers every day. Locusts, breakfast, lunch, dinner. That's what John ate. He wasn't worried about that stuff. You know, 400 years, God hadn't moved. He hadn't spoken. The nation of Israel had carried on. It, you know, kind of carried on to his, just his merry way. It was under new rule. The Roman Empire was taken over. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were taken over. And it was a time of peace, but also a time of religious unrest. Because it's been 400 years and there's, the messenger isn't here yet. And people came to see this strange man in the wilderness. John didn't have invite cards. He didn't have a Facebook profile. He didn't have a social media campaign. He didn't have commercials. The fact is, is when somebody is moved by the Spirit of God, people will go see that person. And people from all over the countryside went to see John preach in the wilderness. Many people are distressed because the Word of God interferes with their comfort. This is what John did. I ask, you know, I say it'd be cool to see him preach. I don't know if we would like it all that much. I'm a minister. The people he talked to about being brood of vipers were me. They were the leaders. <laughs> I'm like... I don't know how I'd feel about that, going to see his sermons. I might feel a little uncomfortable. John the Baptist was radical. He probably was a little crazy. He probably, you know, he probably is one of those guys that had bloodshot eyes. You know, he's been, he spent 30 years in the, in the wilderness. He was probably really tan and, you know, didn't have great skin, probably needed some lotion. You know, and, and, and you know, when, when, when John would walk, you know, you, you could just feel that he was hurting for God's people. You could probably see the tears on the rocks as he walked by, staining the dirt. And he was preaching these fiery messages, but I think they would make us uncomfortable. Why? Because we don't like to change. And that's what he called people to do. He said, there's something coming, and you've got to start changing. You've got to repent. He said, you've got to change your heart. You've got to change your life. There's got to be something different. And guys, that's what real heroes do. Every single one of you here today have had heroes in your life, and they've been the people that have made you uncomfortable at times. That have been willing to look at your comfort and interfere with it and say, hey, you need to get uncomfortable. You need to, you need to spread yourself out a little bit, okay, because... Where you're sitting, you're not going to do great things for God. You're not going to live up to the calling that God has for you. You've got to get a little uncomfortable. That's what John the Baptist did. He made people uncomfortable with his preaching, with his lifestyle. It wasn't normal. But guys, heroes care for people more than they care for their comfort. They care for the soul of people. More than the physical comfort of people. That's what John the Baptist did. That's one thing that we can learn from John. What's another thing we can learn from him? What can we learn from John the Baptist? John was a man of humility. 
John says this, he says, he must become greater. Talking about Jesus. I must become less. John had followers. He had a reputation. But everything John did was about pointing people to Jesus. John said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You know, sometimes we get into the odd thinking that God's kingdom and people's salvation like depends on my personal success. Now, we have a role in the process. John had a role in the process. It was to prepare people for Jesus, to get people to Jesus. That's actually our role, too. That's what God calls us to do. You know, but sometimes we get we get a little too caught up in that. We get a little too prideful with that. You know, John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. But you know the beautiful thing about Jesus, the, peop- the person that we're pointing people to? Jesus says, you don't have to because I'm actually here to wash your feet. He's a man that is worthy to point people to. And John knew that. He was a man of humility. We have to have confidence in our role, but also understand our role. And that takes humility. John was a man of humility. John was a man of prayer. In Luke 11, verse 1, many of us have read this, but... Some of John's disciples come up and they say, hey, teach us to pray like John taught his disciples. There was something about John's teaching on prayer and something about John's prayer life that that made people move, that made people say, like, "I, I need to be taught. And, you know, sometimes I think for some of us, that's where we need to be this morning. Sometimes we just need to be praying this prayer. Lord, teach me to pray. Just teach me to pray. I just need to learn how to pray. I just need to learn what to say, God. I need to, you know, not I need to want to pray. God, just teach me to pray. Teach me the attitude of prayer. You know, guys, prayer isn't just a position. It's not a position. It's not my head bowed or on my knees or hands held. Prayer is a disposition. It's a way of life. It's an attitude. The Bible says pray without ceasing. The goal is that we are in a constant talk. With God. Constantly connecting with God. Every moment that we live in our lives is an attitude of prayer, a disposition of prayer. Guys, we are no long, we are no greater than our prayer lives. How many of us here need to reignite our prayer lives? Yesterday, I felt that. I was like, I know I'm preaching this, and I'm like, I want to, I want to. I want to add a little booster shot to my prayer life. So there's a brother in our ministry, Graham Jones. You never prayed with Graham. Just go pray with Graham. Okay? First of all, he's going to take you up really steep hills. You're probably going to be tired. He's going to walk fast. Graham is like six inches taller than me, so he's got these long legs going up these hills. I'm trying to, and he, I prayed first and walked up the hills. And so I'm losing my breath the whole time, just praying with Graham. And I'm like, Graham, I've got this sermon I'm preaching tomorrow. Can we just go pray together? Can we just connect with God? And, you know, as Graham is preaching or praying, he was preaching in his prayer, actually. You could just feel him move. You know, you just felt excited. That's how it is when you, when you have, sometimes you just need to find somebody like that in your life that when you pray with them, 
you feel faithful. You feel inspired. You feel reignited. You feel your whole disposition on prayer starting to change. Because, you know, you get to it, you're like, hey, teach me how to pray. Like John taught his disciples to pray. John was known as a man of prayer. If we want to be a hero, it's going to take prayer. And another thing that I learned about John, you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. I learned that faith is a battle. You see, we are uh, weird in the way that we like it when our heroes struggle. You know what I mean? You ever like it to hear the, you don't like to always hear the victory stories. Sometimes I like to hear the shortcomings. Sometimes I like to see how you failed because it makes me feel a little bit more relatable to you. You know what I mean? And, and I love that. I appreciate when heroes in my faith tell me how they messed up. And I'm like, oh, so I'm not a failure. Thank you for telling me that. Okay, because I'm feeling like a failure right now. You're telling me what you did and all these amazing things you did for God. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm messing up here. You know, sometimes as heroes, this isn't in my notes, but sometimes as heroes, we got to admit our failures. We got to admit our shortcomings. In a weird way, it actually helps people be drawn to us a little bit more. But here's John. And he asks an odd question. He says, he sends his disciples. John's in a prison at the time. And he sends some of his disciples to Jesus to ask this question. Should we expect somebody else? Should we expect somebody else? I mean... Why did John ask this question? Why? John had baptized Jesus. His purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah. He had seen the Spirit of God interact with Jesus. Why? Did he doubt? Yes. God's heroes... Doubt. It's one of the reasons why we can read the Bible and have full faith in the Bible because it doesn't just tell us the strengths of its heroes. It tells us also the weaknesses of its heroes. And here's John, messenger for Christ, a voice crying out in the wilderness, a prophet to prepare the way for Jesus, and he's struggling in his faith about who Jesus is. Like, hey, Jesus, are you sure you're the one? Here he is in a filthy prison. And he probably expected to be there because when you rebuke a sinful king, which that's what he did about his way of life, there's a good chance you're going to get thrown in prison. And when you make a comment about his girlfriend, there's a good chance you might die. So John knew that death was on the table. And I think he was okay with that. But I don't think John was okay with what happened later. Because I think while in that prison, John started to doubt a little bit. In that dark cell, sitting alone, I think he started to doubt. I think he started to ask questions like, okay, is he really the one? What if I've been wrong? What if the thousands of people I've preached these messages to has been pointing to the wrong guy? 
After all, there's been many prophets that have come, false prophets, false messiahs that have come and shown themselves over the last 400 years. How can I be sure that this is the one? And now I trust him. So let me send some friends to talk to him. In Luke 7, verse 18, John's disciples told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them off, sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else at this very moment? And I love this. Jesus cured many who had diseases, sickness, and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back, go back to John and report this. Report to him what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus, familiar with the struggles that John was facing, familiar with being alone, struggling through the darkness, Jesus knew all about this. He comforts him. And I love it. He invites John's disciples, hey, why don't you guys spend the day with me? Watch me in my ministry. Watch me heal people. Like the, like the prophets had spoken before. Watch me do some amazing miracles. And then go back and tell John what you've seen. You know, Jesus, in our times of doubt, in our battles with our faith, He doesn't always answer with the speed that we desire. He doesn't, or, or His answer isn't always like, that deliverance that we're hoping for, sometimes we just ask God to get us out of a situation. And sometimes he's like, I need you to stay in that situation a little bit longer. Stick it out. Battle a little bit longer. But Jesus will always send help when it's needed. And in John's darkness, in his pain, Jesus sends a promise that was going to sustain him. He's going to sustain his faith. And he's going to do the same thing for each one of us. Because there's times that we each face these battles of, is this real? The key is you have to battle. You have to battle. You have to battle. You can't put the sword away. You have to keep going. You have to keep fighting. And, and John was still fighting even from a prison cell. He asked his friends, hey, go talk to Jesus. Ask him this question. And that answer was all that he needed. And I love what comes next because after this, after this moment of struggle with this faith, Jesus then says, there's no greater man born of women than John the Baptist. Jesus didn't lose his picture of John's importance. He just acknowledged, man, this is real life. Jesus took care of him in that darkest moment. And guys, if you are willing to battle for your faith and willing to ask for help, sometimes that's heroic. 
That's what other people need to see. Now, I want to close out. It says, deep roots produce the strongest trees. Now, John the Baptist, he had deep convictions. He spoke fervently. He made, you know, like we said, he made people uncomfortable. He was humble. He was prayerful. He was faithful to the end, even though he struggled with his faith a little bit. But John was just a part of the root system of a tree that was going to grow up. You ever seen those big trees that like, you know, we have a few out here in Southern California where you, you see the roots go in, but then like five feet later, you see it come up and go back down. That's John, you know, just one of those really strong roots that, that you know, makes his self known a little bit. You, you can see it, you know, a little bit, but but he's not a part of the big tree because he came before Jesus. Many people believe John, he's just an old, he was an Old Testament prophet because he came before Jesus. John didn't experience the kingdom that we get to experience now because he died before Jesus died. But he was a, he's a root in the tree that Jesus was going to start. And Bible says he was the greatest man. Jesus says he was the greatest man ever born of women. I believe he was the greatest prophet to ever live. And, but there's something that kind of troubled me as I was working through this lesson. And it says he walked in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, if you don't know this, this would be some good homework for you. Go back and study the difference between Elijah and Elisha. Because I've wondered, like, why didn't he want to be like Elisha? Because Elisha is the one that got the double portion of the spirit. He got the double portion of the faith of Elijah. He's the one. Uh, he was like uh, Elijah was Elisha's mentor. And Elisha did twice as much as Elijah. Why Jesus or John, why didn't you come in that spirit? You know, and I and I learned something that that God heaven looks at the originator. They look at the father. They look at one, the one who's paid the price and who's paving the way. It's kind of like a relay race. Think about a four by 100 relay race. That's one lap around the track, four runners. And typically in that race, you put your fastest runner at the very end. And the entire team gets a trophy according to what that last runner does. Right? If they finish first, everybody gets a first place trophy. If they're in first when they, get the tro- when they get the baton and they finish third, everybody gets a third place trophy. You, you get the trophy according to what the rest of the runners have done or according to what to the last runner has done. And the truth is, many of us are standing on the shoulders of what other people have done and the faith of other people. I want to ask the church really quick, if you've been a faithful disciple, committed to God, committed to making disciples of all nations for the last 20 years or more. Please stand up. Now, I want you to do this while you're standing. You know, like, do this a little bit because you guys got some tired shoulders, don't you? This is the group who we are standing on top of right now. We're standing on their shoulders. 
They've paid the work. Now, there's a group that's before them that they're standing on their shoulders. And it goes all the way back to John the Baptist and the prophets and Jesus. It goes all the way back. You guys can sit down. Thank you. But men and women, we have to live with a sense of accountability and purpose because we are all standing on somebody else's shoulders. Somebody else has paved the way, that's done the hard work, that's been willing to make other people comfortable, that's been willing to be that voice in the wilderness. And every single one of us, is that's going to be our responsibility at some point. It's going to be responsibility with your family. It's going to be your responsibility on your campuses, in your worlds. That's going to be your responsibility where you're going to have a lot of people standing on your shoulders. It's an amazing purpose. It's an amazing burden to have. It's an amazing responsibility that we all need to feel. That's what heroes feel. They feel responsibility for the people that are coming after them. Those that were standing, thank you. And we know that you're watching and waiting to see what are the people that are coming after me going to do with this kingdom that I've started? What are they going to do With this burden that I'm passing off to them. Now guys, don't slow down if you've been a disciple over 20 years. Please, we need you. We need your expertise. You know, it took John 30 years and then he got started. So if you haven't made it to 30 years, God's not done with you yet. You might just be getting started. Okay? And God's going to use you in powerful ways. But guys, respect the burden they carry. You're standing on the shoulders of giants. And one day... You're going to be that giant. One day you're going to have people standing on your shoulders. That's an amazing responsibility. We have deep roots, but it produces the strongest trees. Men and women, as we think about being unlikely heroes, it's going to take humility. It's going to take a powerful Prayer life. Some of us need to be going and ask God, hey, teach us to pray, God. Just teach me to pray. You need to be praying with somebody that really knows how to pray. Say, hey, teach me to pray like you pray. We got to win the battle of faith. You can't give up. If you feel like giving up, get help. Go ask for help. John the Baptist had to ask for help with his faith. And guys, feel the responsibility. Feel the burden because every person here needs to be a hero to your world. Thank you so much for participating in the last three weeks. I'll see everybody next week at Lake Buena Vista. Let's stand up and close in one final song.